Come on, Billy, be a hitter, Bill. Come on, Bill. No problem, Gino. This guy blows dead dogs. Just lay it in there. Eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. Yeah, Bill, get a little whip. Come on, Bill. Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And this is going to be a little bit of a first for me because <laughs> I'm putting my call to action out right now. And so it's if anyone can can help me understand what I just witnessed, what I just watched. Well, that's what this, this whole podcast is for. Perfect. This is going to be great. <laughs> which I, I've been wanting to cover this movie for a really long time, which is... Sleepaway Camp from 1983. Sleepaway Camp, the very first in our Halloween series for this yeah. season. And the first in what I learned, I think, about 10 minutes ago is a franchise yes. of Sleepaway Camp movies. Yes, absolutely. And that's important when we get to some of the things that happen at the end of this movie and how right. you can interpret them. Yes, yes. We'll we'll get to all of it because there is a crazy amount to talk about with this like totally bonkers there's movie. The, there's so much <laughs> there's so much baggage at the end to unpack mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you forget about all the other luggage that's just yeah. like dropped off throughout yeah. the movie. But I gotta say, you know, I've listened to other podcasts where they make it really clear like how much they hate watching this movie. <laughs> I it okay, so it is probably in the top three of the most problematic movies we've ever covered. Sure, but it is so entertaining to watch. I don't even know what the other two are. Yeah, I mean, I just I feel pretty <laughs> confident that it's somewhere in the that top three. Yeah. Maybe it's number one. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. But let's get into it. So, Sleepaway Camp, like you just said, nineteen eighty three, mm-hmm. and so this was this was one person's baby. It was written and directed by this guy named Robert Hilzik. Okay. Yeah. It was his first writing credit, his first directing credit. And, I mean, it kind of shows in a lot of ways. I feel like, in particular, like, if we're going to focus for a second on just his writing credit, I get the sense that this is a script that he never got notes on. (laughs) That this is just a script he wrote. and, And from what I've heard... This movie came about because um, there's, like, a dedication where it's, like, for mom or basically his mom had passed and provided an inheritance, which Mm. he used to make this movie. If ever I've seen a movie that I would not guess there'd be a dedication saying for mom. Right, right. It's this one. Right. I think, does he say her name? Um, In any case, yeah. I mean, this is, like... You know, that's that's what a lot of people do. They, like, scrap together funds. I mean, he got an inheritance. I oh, think it was, yeah. like, a couple hundred thousand dollars, which isn't a lot, although probably a little bit more so for talking 1983 money. Well, I mean, but, it made 30 times more than yes, it cost. It was tot- super successful Yes, um, to the point where, like, yeah, it became a franchise. And what's really interesting about all his writing credits is that we definitely have covered people where they become known for a particular franchise, but I don't know if we've covered anybody where literally every single writing credit is all related to a single franchise, but that is the case for him. So his other credits are Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers, (laughs) which I think that's super clever. Yes. Sleepaway Camp 3, not as clever, but Teenage Wasteland. So it's okay. I mean, that's not even the name of the song that it's probably 
yeah, riffing, riffing right, off of. But. Right, exactly. Um, Return to Sleepaway Camp. Okay. And then Sleepaway Camp 4, which it's weird because it's like you think that Return to Sleepaway Camp would be kind of like, that would be 4, but it's not. Sleepaway Camp 4, The Survivor. Interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, So all those films, he wrote all of them. I think he's the sole, he might be the sole writer. I don't know, on all of them. But yeah, I get the sense that he just, for whatever reason, really wanted to tell this story. I highly suspect that had he passed the script off to anyone else, we maybe would have gotten a very different movie. I feel confident that somebody like, hey, maybe we lighten up on the pedophilia and maybe the way we, the, yeah. The- Poor goddamn kids in this camp are sexualized is just yes. wild. Yes. And it's like it's like right in your face with the head chef guy. Um, and then Artie is his name. Right. And then Ben, somebody else who works in the kitchen, just kind of laughs it off. Yes. Like what does he say about him? That he has not a fire, but he demon I don't <laughs> I don't know. He I, says something really kind of just like off the cuff where I'm like, that's how you're just like explaining away this nasty nasty person but and like we talk a lot about how things may have been perceived differently now versus the 80s i have no recollection of that kind of shit being perceived differently so it's no. it's i would have been as gross then as it would be now it's just shocking that they actually incorporate in the movie the way they do i mean that being said though we have i mean look there's a lot of discussion around some films of that era I mean, one figure who just had, like, um, and I need to watch it, a documentary come out, Brooke Shields. Oh, okay. And, you know, she was highly sexualized. So in Blue Lagoon, I mean, she's super sexualized in that. I think she's even younger and pretty baby. So there was kind of a weirdness around, but there's a difference between, like, the way that she was sexualized and just this storyline of overt pedophilia yeah it was so like, it's, it's different but this i don't know i mean an, an inappropriate portrayal where like hey you're actually like putting these actually underage people right. on film engaged in sexual acts versus like which is, has its own like host of problems but this was like had a much darker predatory yeah like, like the sinister lead, the lead actress and you know we'll get to the look we do a podcast that is spoilerific so if you haven't seen sleepaway camp it probably is a movie that i would recommend you go see it before you listen to the rest of this podcast because there is a reveal a pretty shocking one we'll kind of get to how we decide to talk about angela once we get to this character but um but yeah i just wanted to put that out there real quick before we go any further that if you haven't seen the movie, this is going to be one of those movies where you're going to want to um, see it first. So, would you agree? No. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, you're going to really not understand anything about the way we talk about this movie. If you're probably well, you're probably already wondering what what we're so fussed up about. Yeah. Talking. I mean, this. the reason why I bring it up is because the lead actress who. It is it is a, a young woman who plays the lead role, yeah. and that relates to what this reveal is. Mm-hmm. Um, she was only I think about like thirteen. 
Yeah, when, she was too young to see the movie that she was in. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so that that rolls into what we were just talking about right now with yeah. like the problematic elements. Um, and but, again, you know, if you want to listen to this first and then know what you're getting into when you see it, sure. Sure. I mean, Sleepaway Camp, I mean, I feel like for people who know horror and love horror, this is a very well-known movie. For anyone else who just maybe has a more general interest in the 80s. I never heard of it until, like, we watched it a while back. Last year. And that was the first time I'd ever seen it. Yeah. So, in any case, this all comes back to the whole script issue where I'm really curious what people would have said to Hilzik if they had gotten the chance to get their hands on this script before it was made. But it gave us this super culty, well-known film within horror and 80s horror uh, in particular. Mm -hmm. And as mentioned, he also directed this. This was his first directing credit, and he has only one other directing credit. Was it Unhappy Cappers? It was Return to Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. They wanted to bring that magic back. So 25 years later, he directs uh, a follow-up. Okay. To it, but in between the first movie and his return were two other movies. So there we go. Okay, right. moving on. Cinematography: Benjamin Davis. Um, now, what's interesting about this film? I feel like this is very much in line with like some of these lesser known uh, independent slash horror films of the '80s, where like you're getting people who are like really early in their in their careers, maybe people who. You know, they were involved in projects, but they didn't really go on to have, like, huge, long filmographies. Yeah. Um, That's the case with Davis. He only has seven credits total uh, as far as cinematography, all in the 80s. So he had this one decade where this is the work that he did, and that was it. Some of his other credits include The Act, Sudden Death, which is maybe the most well-known, and The Survivalist. Okay. So... So we're going to blow through some of these people pretty quickly because <laughs> it is it is the same for some of them. Uh, music by Edward Billis is the way that I'm going to. Belloc. It's, it's not, <laughs> though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Belloc. Good, good, good one. Um, Billis. So his first composing credit. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and same, like, he he did this. And here's what's interesting is that he composed for this film. I don't know if it had anything to do with the experience he had on it. He didn't compose again for 15 years or he doesn't get a credit for another 15 years. So his like next credit is this film. And I have all films for him mixing Nia. Hmm. So, so that's his next credit. That was in 98. And then after that, we get some more. So we get dead broke. Just one more time. Shoot down. Hmm. Icebound. Sacred, all films. Okay. So, and like I said, like these are people who, you know, they, their work contributed to like what this film is and its cult status. The fact that they don't necessarily have like long filmographies does not negate the impact that they had. Um, I thought the music in this was like what I would expect for like this level of horror movie where. It got real tense when yeah. I knew something was going to happen. The music definitely tells you what you're supposed to feel yes. as you go yeah. through. Yeah. I mean, there Before was... Before I'm supposed to feel it. Yeah. There was... And there's like a... To me, what was a funny part where Angela and Paul are like basically frolicking along the beach and you get this like really kind of lighthearted, romantic music. Like it's it's interesting. Uh, yeah. The music very much is like, here's what you're supposed to be feeling in this moment. Um 
okay, we'll film editing. Moving on. So we got two people who are credited for editing. And I would say that of the people behind the camera, the editors were the most, uh, like, like most accomplished, okay. maybe, I would say, in, in their field. Okay. So we have two, and like with like more well-known credits to their names. Got it. Respectively. That makes sense. Yeah. The first yeah. is Ron Kalish. And yeah, all, let's see. Well, for him, I have all films. Uh, Take the Money and Run, Bananas. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Bad Company, The Act, Amongst Friends. This, I love this title, A Chronicle of Corpses. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Staten Island. So he reteams with the director, and he is the editor on Return to Sleepaway Camp. I'm telling you, they had to get that magic back. Yeah, exactly. Animal Husbandry and Christmas Dreams. I'm sorry, what was that last one? Animal Husbandry. Okay. Yeah. The other editor that we have is Sharon L. Ross. Uh-huh. So there is one franchise to her name besides this that's like pretty well known. Some fun titles. The first of which, Don't Mess With My Sister. Don't do it. Don't mess with her. Doing Time on Planet Earth. Oh, that sounds familiar, actually. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, it does. I think I may have seen that. Okay. Here's the franchise that I was alluding to. She cuts both Ernest Saves Christmas Oh. and Ernest Goes to Jail. Well, Ernest did a, a ton of other shit, but that's great to have gotten into to that one. both those, yeah. He did so many things. <laughs> she cut Billboard Dad. Now, as I've kind of brought up, because I always just find it really interesting, I do think that one thing that maybe isn't brought up enough is how much TV movies help uh supplement people's careers yeah in entertainment you know i know that i've said on a number of occasions i don't usually bring up tv movies because most of the time they're not widely known there are exceptions to that but for sharon of her 38 editing credits 17 are tv movies wow okay so and that like i said i kind of am seeing that more frequently with some of these people is like that you know you you find ways to to keep working and Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we're already <laughs> at the stars <laughs> of this movie. We are just <laughs> chugging along. Um, first, as mentioned, lead role, Angela, played by, I'm going to say, so it's not Melissa, Felissa, Felissa Rose. Okay. Yeah. With an F, not an M. It's spelled the same way as Melissa, but with an F instead of an M. Felissa. Felissa. Okay. I've just never heard that name before. I don't... Have you ever no. heard of Felissa? It feels incomplete. It feels like we're missing a... <laughs> it, itty. Felicity. Or... Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah. I wonder if her name is like a mashup of... Like, you know how sometimes people make up a name because it's like a mashup of two other names in the family? Like yeah. the parents or Felicia, something? Felicia, Melissa, Felissa. Or like a Frederick and Melissa, so she's Felissa. Oh, my God. I think we have another call to action. <laughs> so... I, as I was going through these credits, I mean, she was the first person I, like, dove into, and I'm so impressed by her. So she, like we mentioned, was very young. This was her first acting credit. This is going to be the first credit or near to the first credit for a lot of the actors. She was 13, right? Yeah, she was very young. And, like, 
kind of joke about it sometimes in movies where you'll see like a high school cast and they'll look like they're in their thirties right. because they would intentionally get actors who are at least 18 right. for like just a lot of different like production labor, like all kinds of reasons. Right. It just makes more sense. I don't know how closely the director was following union rules. Yeah. <laughs> On this film, uh, I don't know yeah. if it was like a true independent. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's other stories about detail, like but. difficult scenes that would kind of like play along with what you just said, like the the skinny dipping thing at one right. a that ended up being filmed at one a.m. and was like a whole thing. So yes, yes. So, but with Rose, so yes, she was very young. First acting credit. Here's what I love. I love that like she did other roles and had other projects but i mean she is a working actress she has 138 credits holy shit that's amazing she has 40 40 upcoming credits <laughs> and 134 of 138 so we're talking almost the entirety of her filmography are from projects since 2000 okay so she kind of like grew up had her life Acted here and there, but now that she's older, I mean, 2000 would have been like 17 years after this film came out. Mm. So 17 plus 13, 30. I, I mean, I didn't go to school. For that, so. <laughs> so once she hit like adulthood, then she's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to like. That I can follow. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think she has really embraced the way that a lot of people that that she is beloved in the horror community because not exclusively, but the far, far, far majority of her credits are like horror credits. I mean, I'm just scrolling through here and I, I would have to assume that's true. And so many of them have the most phenomenal titles. Like I have over 20 credits for her that I wrote down. So let's go through some of them. So earlier in her career, like she was still very young when she did. And this was like a more conventional film, The Night We Never Met. I no. think it's like Matthew Broderick. and um, Oh, yeah. 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 So she's in that. But then here we go. Nikos the Impaler. Okay. A film that's literally just called horror. <laughs> it's just called oh. horror. All right. Dead Serious. Satan's Playground. Satan's Playground? Mm-hmm. She does a lot that have, like, camp or camp themes, I think. Um, Psycho Sleepover. Psycho, okay. She reteams with the whole whole gang. She comes back for Return to Sleepaway Camp. So she does that. Was she not in the second one? No, she's not in the second or third one. Oh, okay. But she does Return to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, She is part of this, like, weird other franchise. So it starts with Caesar and Otto's Summer Camp Massacre. (laughs) Okay. I'll get back to that, but <laughs> um, she does Silent Night, Zombie Night. So not Silent Night, Deadly Night. Gotcha. But Silent Night, Zombie Night. Not even Silent Night, Holy Night. Neither of those. Well, that's a song. Yeah. But <laughs> then she comes back for Caesar and Otto's Deadly Xmas. Mm. So she does that. I love this title. Aliens versus A-Holes. Who's going to win? I can't even. I mean. I can't even decide. These titles, I was just like giddy because like all these film names are so much fun awesome girl gang street fighter that's a good one yeah camp dread so again she does she returns to this one kind of subgenre of there's one that i'm not sure if you're gonna bring it up so i'm gonna wait okay a couple that like there's so many there's so many there's so many yeah she comes back again for this franchise caesar and otto's paranormal halloween Mm. 
my Uncle John is a zombie! Exclamation point. That's a problem. The house that wept blood. That's a that's a fucking metal name right there. Yeah. Well, just a film that's called Welcome to Hell. All right. Kill Giggles. Wait, what? Kill Giggles. Kill Giggles. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one with this camp theme. Bloody Summer Camp. There's a lot of camps. Mike and Fred versus the Dead. Oh, I actually kind of, that sounds fun. Yeah, it yeah, does sound That fun. one sounds like it'd be fun. Here's what's hilarious. So I, on and off, write for this website called Wicked Horror. Mm-hmm. I just recently did a review of a film called Time's Up. She's in it. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's not the only one from this cast who's in it. It's kind of funny. And and probably one of the more well-known horror films to come out lately, she was in Terrifier 2. Terrifier, okay. Yeah. So there were, uh, there were a couple that I wanted to make sure we, sure. we got in. There was this uh, a couple of grandma movies. So we get grandma. Grandma's Secret Recipe. And then that's followed up. I don't know if they're connected. But then we get Grandma's uh, Sloppy Seconds. Oh, I'm sure that that's a sequel. Got to be, right? Because yeah. it's her secret recipe. Okay. And then you're all familiar with Jurassic Park, right. Jurassic World. Uh, I think those are the two main. Uh-huh. Main, but has anyone seen Jurassic City? Jurassic City? Because <laughs> that's something that she was in. Jurassic City. I mean, I I just think that this is amazing, the way that she's, like, taken her career. 2015, by the way, Jurassic City. Not that not that old. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I just, like, she is super busy. She is, like, crazy workhorse. I mean, 40 upcoming credits. So, like... What I have when I say she has 138 acting credits, really it's like 178 because she has this like all these upcoming ones. They just haven't been released yet. Yeah. So yeah, good for her, man. Well done. Okay. So moving on to Ricky, her cousin, his first film credit. I think he had like one minor TV credit before this. He was in uh, a TV series, Another World, and he was the uncredited kid with basketball. Yeah. So I think that w- that's like a soap opera, Another yeah. World. Jonathan Tiersten is his name. It's a very distinguished name. Yeah. Jonathan Tristan. I And I think he did a really good job in this movie. He did. He was like about 17, I think, when they filmed. And from what I've read too, like there was like, as much as I don't, I don't know how to interpret this, that there was like kind of a thing going on between him and uh, Felissa. Grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, teen love. I don't know what, to what degree they were quote together but okay um now what's interesting about him some of these people involved with the film they go on these really long hiatuses i don't think it's hiati hi hiatus hi well if you're doing plural oh (laughs) but but hiatuses hiatuses kind of a mouthful yeah i don't like that but i don't don't think it's (laughs) hiati i think so plural doesn't sound right does it his next credit is Return to Sleepaway Camp. Okay. So there's a 21-year acting break there. This guy literally has some of the best titles. If I'm just looking at titles he, to movies. Not as extensive of a filmography. I think hardly anybody in the rest of this group will. But he's making it count. He's making it count. He also very much is embracing his horror roots. Um, some of his other credits, The Perfect House... Blood Reservoir. Mm-hmm. He also, he like reteams with his co-star a couple times. He also is in The House That Wept Blood. That fucking name is so good. He was in 
Toilet Zombie Baby Strikes Back. That's the one. That's that's the one where I'm like, wow, what a name. And he also was in the movie I reviewed, Time's Up. So he was also in a short called Slossages. That's amazing. And if you look at the spelling, it's like slaughter, but Slossages. I like it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he is right now working. And I have to admit, when he I realized- He was in a Slayer video too. <laughs> <laughs> when I realized they both were in this film, I was like, who were they? They weren't the super main characters, but after the fact, it was like, okay. I think it was actually kind of a missed opportunity by the filmmaker of that film to like more so bring into it the fact that like, oh, it's these two really well-known characters from Sleepaway Camp. I wasn't given that in my materials mm. for reviewing the film. But in any case, here's what's really interesting about our next actor. Karen Fields. So she plays Judy, the like, I would say the prototype for like mean girl bully. She really bitch. Was. She was. Mean girl bully bitch. You can tell. In this film. As soon as you see her, as soon as you see the stank face that she's got on constantly. I mean, she puts like Regina George to shame. Absolutely. Uh, there's nothing redeeming about her at all. They give her no arc whatsoever. <laughs> No, she's just, yeah, she is kind of an awful person, and she's killed in an awful way. Yes, there, but, and we'll get to that. I gotta say, like, we talked about this after watching the film again, like, some really fun, memorable kills. Well, that's, that's the horrific thing. Horrific yeah. and disturbing in some ways, but yeah. hers in particular. Like, that one was horrific. You don't, they don't show it to you, because I was talking about, like, it was, Bad enough to where it gave me like the original Evil Dead with the tree yes. vibes, and that was um for re good reason reshot because they needed to for rating. Ah. It actually was way more graphic. Okay. Yes. Okay. So but, they had to change that up. So you don't see much in in this sleepaway camp, right. Judy kill, but the other kills, and some of them weren't even kills because the the chef isn't he like he's still alive. He he's still just lives. Yeah. Hideously maimed. Which, but they were all the effects were way better than they deserved to really, be. Really, really good. For, for like, yeah. For this level of movie, I was kind of amazed at some of the effects. In a way though, you know, when we're thinking like 1983, like the early 80s to me were kind of the golden era of like practical horror effects. Yeah. They went crazy with them. Yeah. And they were so good and then, you know, we eventually start veering away from that um late 80s and certainly the 90s and i just miss like and it, and it's such a such a craft such a amazing thing that they can pull off and they do it really like surprisingly well for this film like yeah. i kind of feel like that's like where he put most of his money the arrow that went through that one guy's Mel's, neck yes yeah we're like holy really shit. well done i think they really killed they him. showed it yeah i, I think they so, just killed him in any case, Judy, Karen Fields has just two acting credits, and uh, besides Sleepaway Camp, she's in this, like, non-canon short called Judy. Okay. So she – and I love – well, first, I mean, we will definitely get to the, quote, costumes in this <laughs> film. I kind of feel like they were like, just bring your clothes. But uh, her T-shirt that just says Judy yeah. on it is amazing. <laughs> So, yeah. Okay, so moving on to Christopher Collet, Collet, or Collet? Mm, I'm going to say Collet. Okay, Collet. Mm. So he's Paul. He's Angela's kind of little love interest. Um, problematic in its own way. This was his first acting credit. And now what's 
so interesting about this guy is that he actually has probably next to uh, Felissa Rose the most extensive filmography. I yeah, I immediately recognized him from like at least a couple movies. Like two movies I can think of right off the top that I'm sure you'll cover. Oh, that's but, yeah. interesting because yeah. I I don't think I will. Um, he has found very much his own niche in a totally different genre of entertainment. So like he is big time into like I think anime and just animation in general. Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, which is kind of like Pokemon. I think I don't know that much about. Does those. that qualify as like an- I'm I'm woefully ignorant, but like that's anime. Yeah, let's say let's say it is. Okay. So the only straight uh like on-screen acting credit that I have for him in film besides Sleepaway Camp is the Manhattan Project. Yeah, that one I know. That one I definitely recognize him from. Oh, he's also in like some uh One Piece. That's a video game. But that's definitely anime. So, he's yeah. he did a lot of t- like he did have a lot of TV appearances, but I think he's like really leaned into his voice work. So, yeah, you already kind of mentioned some of them. Um, the following credits, all voice work. So Funky Cops, like these are all animated series. <laughs> Funky Cops, Sonic X, there's Yu-Gi-Oh! GX and just Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm-hmm. Viva Piñata. He, you mentioned to Pokemon, 644 episodes so far. Damn. Yeah. Damn, that's not bad. So he has had a highly successful career just not necessarily on camera. The other uh, the other movie, which was like right around the same time as like Manhattan Project and this, was uh, Firstborn, which oh. is just about, I'll give you the, the synopsis here. A teenager must protect his family when his mother's sinister new boyfriend begins exerting his authority in their home. And the dad is Peter Weller. So, oh, and the mom is Terry Garr. Oh, so yeah. Okay. I, so you already knew of that film? Yeah. Okay, I did not. Okay, gotcha. Um, and actually, I kind of uh, am maybe negating what I said a minute ago as far as, like, extensive filmography. Negate it! The next person that we're covering is Mike Kellen. So he plays Mal. This was now, whereas for a lot of the people in this film, their first acting credits, this was his final acting uh. credit. And he actually was already um, ill. When he did this film, he just didn't tell anybody. Yeah. Uh, he passed, I think, even before the film was released. He had lung cancer. Um, I mean, only in retrospect can you kind of see that he's not looking his best. Um, kind of, it feels like uh, Poltergeist 2 esque. Mm, okay. Not quite to that degree, but similar. And I mean, he also had just a very. Uh, extensive filmography and acting career throughout the course of his life. I mean, he was a much older gentleman he did, yeah. at this point. Yeah, he was. Yes. Um, when he did this. So some of his credits, some very well-known credits he was in, I have mostly, although he did a t- like he, I've mentioned this about a couple actors that we've had. I mean, he had a crazy amount of like one appearance or two appearances on so many TV shows throughout the course of his career, but a ton of them. Few that are like recurring. Um, I do have one notable exception to that. Mm. So his film work: Hurricane Smith, Lonely Hearts, The Wonderful Country. Remember this title: The Wackiest Ship in the Army. Oh, I'll, I'm gonna remember it. <laughs> Hell is for Heroes. Then that TV show, 
they did a TV version of the wackiest ship in the army. He did a lot of like uh, military ask type work. A lot of his um, some of his filmography titles. He did the Boston Strangler. I like this title. Those mad mad movie makers. Okay. The Midnight Express, which was a very acclaimed film. Midnight Express, 1978. Sorry, we're not going to be able to talk about the uh, amazing... What was he trying to, like, smuggle, like, hash or something out of Turkey and was in a... Yes. Prison and at one point, like, literally bites someone's tongue out of their mouth and spits it out. It's... Don't confuse it with Midnight Run. Very different. Very different. I can't stress enough how different these movies are. And if you want to watch one of them, make sure you're getting the right one. Yeah. Or like get a chaser, like maybe watch Midnight Express and then chase it with Midnight Run just to kind of like lighten the mood again. And then just bookend it with uh, Bone Tomahawk. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. So to get through, I just have a couple more credits. Um, He did the 1980, the jazz singer. And then this is... This is not to make fun. I mean, I, again, a film like Sleepaway Camp has its place in horror in particular, but in film in general. But the the credit he did just prior to Sleepaway Camp. so Probably something lighthearted and. He did The Tragedy of King Lear. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. So he did like Shakespeare right before. So his penultimate. And he was King Lear. He was Lear in it. I mean, it's like kind of (laughs) insane, but the guy had range. Okay. Acting? Yeah. Moving on to Catherine Cammy. Yeah. Just my so she, this is such an interesting character to me. So she plays Meg. 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 It doesn't end well for Meg, but, you know, it doesn't end well for a lot of them. They, yeah. I mean, they do a good set. I think one thing that the director was like, I'm going to make sure for most of them, not all of them, actually. Some people, I think Paul got a little... Uh, unfairly killed yeah. in the film. But um, most of the people who die, though, you're like, oh, you totally deserved it. Like, you were, yeah. Um, you, yeah, like, look, the first kill we get, we're all, we're all rooting for it. Well, the, and but then he's the one that doesn't die. Yeah, well. Maybe he dies off camera at some point, but. He sure does appear to suffer quite a bit. He suffers. So I had to be satisfied he with He really that. suffers. Yeah. When the doctor's like, every nerve in his <laughs> body is like. There's this like a <laughs> five minute conversation where the cop is just like telling him like, so just so you know. Yeah, they're like, I, I mean, as much as I like want the guy to suffer, I feel like as a medical professional, it's like you got to get that guy in the ambulance and go. Like you have to get to the, the hospital. They like really take their time. This was definitely before protected health information. <laughs> or kind of stuff yeah but with meg so she also i mean she's very much working today um she's she's been working steadily she also a lot of tv work over the course of her career um similar in you know a lot of like one-offs or two-offs but she does have uh kind of recurring roles in a few different projects a lot of um soap opera work so when she was younger she was on the show all my children Hmm. for a bit I do have one other film credit for her. It's called Silent Madness. Silent Madness. But another soap opera, Guiding Light, she oh, was yeah. on for a while. She was on the reboot of Dragnet, the TV series. Oh, my God. She was on one episode of the Chris Elliott comedy, Get a Life. Oh, okay. And then even more recently, the TV version of Get Shorty. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, yep. She's been working. Oh, but what I was going to say about her character is that 
I mean, she really leans into it. Like she she plays that role with gusto, but she just hates Angela from the jump. Yeah. And you know, at least with Judy, I'm like, okay, Judy is just like a bitchy little girl who's another camper who's like also kind of just jealous of the attention that Angela is getting. But Meg should be better. She's a she's a camp counselor. Like, oh, it's weird that she is like so overtly hostile to Angela. Like, she should not have this job. If, like, Susie, the one who's actually kind of nice to Angela, like, she encompasses, and actually Ronnie, we'll get to Ronnie in a second, but, Ronnie. like, I mean, I'm like, what is Meg's problem? Like, she's so, she's so mean to Angela. She's so bad at her job. Unnecessarily mean. Yes. To the, uh, to the kids. Yeah. 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 Anyway, and then, like, we'll get to the whole, like, super weird, creepy relationship between Meg and Mel. She seemed real into it. She seemed really into it. Seemed like she was really getting away with something. I mean, you would think as the actress, you would be like, again, I feel like nobody questioned the director at all with this film because I'd be like, really? Really? I'm into this guy? It's interesting that you tell me that he did like this King Lear thing before this, because when when he sees Meg has been killed, he kind of goes into this like... That's true. King Lear-esque like monologue. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Okay, so moving on to Ronnie. If you're like, who's Ronnie? Short shorts. Ronnie is the camp counselor, the very buff camp counselor who (laughs) feels very comfortable wearing the shortest and the tightest shorts you will ever see. And that's saying something. Let me tell you, he could have been he could have been an extra running around the uh, the track in (laughs) Greece too with that outfit. I mean, it's hilarious, too, because, like, he's not the only guy in this movie who wears short shorts. Well, but... it's it's a combination, really, of, like, <laughs> the short shorts and the cutoff, the high cutoff shirts. Yes. We're like, what are we all doing here? I mean, amazing physique. Amazing physique. He really obviously was taking care of himself. For sure, they can they can all pull it off. But, man, it was weird. It was, it was wild. so weird. And I'm, like, thinking, like, I was too young to know what somebody of that age was wearing in 1983. But I'm, like, I don't, I don't think, think that was it. <laughs> I don't think so. In any case, Paul D'Angelo is the actor's name. This was his second acting credit. I don't know if he really was, like, actor. Like, he... <laughs> His entire entire filmography, six acting credits. So including this, um, all films I do have for him. Waitress! Okay. Exclamation point. Um, Also in Silent Madness. So he reteams with Meg uh, in that film. The real thing. He also comes back for Return to Sleepaway Camp. Man, this Return to Sleepaway Camp. Stacked. They got the whole whole gang back together. Well, almost. And Destination Fame. That's a good one to end it on. That's going to be your last Destination Fame boom you're there yeah okay so the last two people i'm going to bring up they have much smaller roles but memorable uh especially desiree guild goud okay oh oh oh, the the aunt yes i'd say gold gold okay oh yeah like robbie gold yeah okay so aunt martha sweet mother of god <laughs> this this performance like so tour this is de force the greatest 
the greatest compliment I can give Desiree is that I don't know if she's literally a psychopath or if she just had that strong of a performance. She, I'll say this, because isn't that other actress, uh, Meg Foster? She gives Meg Foster a run for her money in terms of the blue eyes. Yeah. Uh, she's another actress with just, like, piercing blue eyes. Just crazy, though. Like, her character just exudes madness. Well, here's what I was saying. This was my theory when we were watching it. Because, like, as bonkers of a movie as this is. And it is. a lot of ridiculous yeah. storylines and a lot of ridiculous performances. She is in a league of yeah. her own yes, we, look, in this film. <laughs> we get a full, like what felt like a 10 minute baseball scene where it felt like we got like seven innings of, right, this, right. of the full game. <laughs> and that was by far the least crazy thing. I think that she, I, okay. What I don't think is that she just went rogue with no, her no, I don't performance so. and the director was like, okay, I think this was all totally intentional because I think what the director was trying to do was to set up only a woman this insane would force a child, and here we go, yeah. would force a child to behave and, and, and present themselves as a sex that they are not. Yes. That is what I think is happening. Because. To yeah. reconcile this, this surprise element of the film. Yeah. That Angela is not, in fact, a little girl. She is a little boy who's been forced yeah. to live in the world so her, as a girl her sister and dad were killed in the boating his sister yes but but we will when we're so I, when yeah, we yeah. say angela just Angela's for the sake sister. for the sake of clarity as we go like when we go through the story we're gonna re, we're gonna use female pronouns until it gets to the point in the world of the film where we realize that angela's not a not a little girl yeah and the reason so i we'll, brought up the rest of the movies yeah. is because what like my understanding is that in, in the subsequent movies that character has actually like gone through like they they oh, interesting. Like, fully transitioned okay. I'm not into familiar with like the, okay. being being woman. And that is problematic all, all on its own. It's, <laughs> There's so many but yeah. but yeah, if you separate like the 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 rest of the franchise from the first movie, yeah. then it's just straight up child abuse. Right. Resulting in like some of what and we I, see happening. And just for clarification, I say problematic in reference to what you just said, because for somebody who has been forced and, and it is child abuse to be like, okay, well then I am going to be a girl that I think is an implication that maybe isn't the healthiest way to approach what we have been told in the first film. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And we'll kind of, we'll get to all of it, but I don't know how much I want to lean on the sleepaway franchise for right, right. <laughs> to be but instructive on any of these things to, necessarily. To circle back just to Aunt Martha and the actress who plays her, I do think that she is so over the top to justify yeah. how somebody could force a child to do this. Yeah, she was she was way off a rock. It's the only way I can explain her performance. Yeah. So not an extensive filmography. She passed somewhat recently. She passed in 2021. Hmm. Um, but her the entirety of her credits, besides this film, we have a TV movie called You Can't Go Home Again. Hmm. Uh, she then, from that point, has a 23-year acting hiatus. She comes back for Under Surveillance. Hmm. Uh, we come back to this franchise. So she is... Now, is it the same movie? Let me do a quick... No. 
So she was in a different Caesar and Otto. Yes, <laughs> there's a different Caesar and Otto that um, Fel- Felissa Rose was not a part of, called Caesar and Otto meet Dracula's lawyer. Fuck, I love that. I love that name. That's a short. So so she's in that. I'm gonna find that after this. And tales of Poe. Okay, so that's it for her. Okay, so final final credit uh, among this ensemble cast, mm-hmm. we have not James Earl Jones, Robert Earl Jones. Who is James Earl Jones' father? What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I guess Earl is like a thing, family thing they do because okay. James Earl Jones has a brother whose middle name is also Earl. So Robert Earl Jones is his dad. Yes. Okay. Is his father. You will recognize him. I did recognize yeah. him from, I'll let you used to go. No, was, it's okay. From The Sting yeah. is what I mainly recognize him yeah. from. Yeah. So not as extensive of a filmography as his son. But he was an actor. He passed, too. I think he passed, though, maybe, like, 2006. Um, so he plays Ben. I I, I wasn't going to go through the filmography of the actor who plays Artie, the pedophile. But I was going to bring <laughs> up him. I mean, it's a really... Again, this is a film where I'm like, this guy got no notes on the script. Because they spend so much time on the kitchen crew. Yeah. And then they never go back to them again. Not once. Yeah. But he is part of this kitchen crew he is not the pedophile he is but not. he is he is well aware of his co-workers he's the one who just kind of like laughs it off yeah like hey you shouldn't do that and you know he's given some kind of hush money which i don't know if he really needed the hush money, but the hush money thing it just i just want to talk real for just a second on that because it's real talk <laughs> the the um the guy who runs the who runs the camp the king king lear i'm just gonna say it's like mel yeah mel camp Camp King Lear Mel sure. was very concerned about uh, their pedophile chef being boiled alive, getting yes. out into the news. Yes. Because as we all know, that could affect attendance. <laughs> so his plan, like he actually tells one of the other people like, oh, the kitchen guys, I'll handle this. And his secret plan was to talk about how he's going to give like the salary that he's going to split up he's that extra give money. Ben an extra $50 a week. Yeah. And the other guy's an extra 15. He's going to kick an extra 15 their way. And in exchange, he did not <laughs> want them to talk about this. And I would suggest that he could have just told them, don't, don't talk, talk about, about it. <laughs> <laughs> and they went really like deep. In, like we're almost watching them negotiate a contract for this. I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking, this. why does this need to be part of the movie? Like it. It was, it was a whole thing. <laughs> it was a whole thing that just was totally unnecessary to the story. Yes. But to get back to Robert Earl Jones's career, oh, so yes, some you. of his credits, um, mostly, well, almost, yeah, all film. One Potato, Two Potato. Hmm. You just mentioned it, The Sting. Mm-hmm. So that's probably his most notable role, is my guess. He has a very small role in Trading Places, such that I don't think we even brought him up no. um, for that episode. But he is in The Cotton Club. He's okay. in Witness. I don't remember him from Witness, but I do remember Witness. Probably a smaller credit again. And then his final credit was a film called Rain Without Thunder. Hmm. So, All right. Well, All right. He's just uh, credited as Old Lawyer. So before we jump into the madness that is this movie, yeah. film synopsis. Oh. <laughs> Angela Baker, a shy, traumatized young girl, is sent to summer camp with her cousin. Shortly after her arrival, anyone 
with sinister or less than honorable intentions towards her Hmm. gets their comeuppance. Less than honorable. I think that's how they explain away Paul. Yeah, because he... I I would argue that he he wasn't a bad uh, guy in the way that the other people that got their comeuppance received that comeuppance. I don't know if he was comeuppance worthy in the same way. I don't think, like, you know, if we're doing, like, a sliding scale of who deserved (laughs) to get off. Who deserved a beheading. Yeah, I mean, I would say the one person who doesn't presumably die, the I'm just going to keep calling him the pedophile, like, he's at the top of the list. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that Mel might be right there because I think it's very icky what he's doing with Meg. Yeah. So he's there. Then maybe a tie between Meg and Judy because they both are just big time bullies. They're pretty shitty. Yeah, they're pretty shitty, but I think maybe they got more than they, maybe. I wouldn't say, I'm not saying they deserve to die, but I'm saying that that like on this scale of like they're gonna die yes yes. um so there's that i mean it's a horror movie you can kind of guess like yeah oh and then and then uh billy with the bees yeah Yeah. uh you know he's he's right there with the whole bully group yes oh and then um oh my gosh who's the other kid who this movie had more of a body count than i remember so many body counts kenny yeah who and again like all these effects, if if even if you're like, I'm going to hate this movie because I hate the storyline, I hate what, what they reveal, and the fact that this child was abused after already having gone through the trauma of losing his father and sister, all that aside, the kills in this movie are spectacular. They're pretty good. Really inventive. I mean, we have, again, he doesn't die, but the whole getting boiled alive is really cool. Because he gets out, you actually see his, like, skin mm -hmm. kind of, like, not melting, but just, like... When they show the reveal of Kenny, when the guy flips over the boat. And a snake comes out of him. Incredibly (laughs) done. Incredibly done. Yeah. Um, You know, Billy, he's the one who, again, um, gets, like, the bees to the face. Mm. I don't know if that's how bees work and some of the injuries that they showed him have but (laughs) i don't think they would have given him a black eye or bloody nose and then he had like boils on his skin i don't i don't know and i don't know how fast it works yeah with like bee stings call to action call to action so that was a really great kill mel was very clean mel of was like the least gruesome yeah i felt like um of things we see on screen. Yeah, I guess I'll say. yeah. Like she was obviously getting like stabbed and her like back ripped open through a shower wall. That I think. I mean, incredible strength to yeah. stick a knife through a wall. Yes, and this... it's funny because like with every kill scene, it's like obviously man's hands yeah. doing it. <laughs> yeah. And the other obvious thing is like, is there really any doubt that it's Angela? No. Is there really any There's doubt? Not. There's not, and that's why. Like the the reveal at the end is important not because it's Angela, but because of what we see. Because we all know that it's Angela. Right. That's killed everyone. But we right. didn't know was that Angela was was a boy who was forced by right. their mom to be a little girl. Yeah. I mean, usually we don't go through a beat by beat explanation of the story, but I do think there are some things to set up that probably are important. I mean 
it's really interesting because like so basically there's these two little kids uh-huh. peter and presumably angela i don't know if they ever mention the sister's name but i'm guessing the aunt just takes the name of the child who dies that's I, kind of my assumption yeah um she was crazy but it seemed like that would kind of make sense if you're trying to pass, especially pass to the cousin off. yes and that's the that is a question i had it's like really ricky ricky didn't know or he's just being real like he's really good about covering up the fact that angela is really peter yeah i don't know i don't know how much credit to give or not give ricky i don't know and would they say like seven or eight years later yes eight years later eight years later so it's like over the course of eight years of having your cousin live with you you've never picked up on the fact even if you know they show that flashback right before they reveal angela to be peter yeah and it, it's actually a really heartbreaking scene. The little kid who doesn't say a single fucking word in that flashback breaks my heart. It's, it's this little boy, yeah. head down, head bandaged. Yep. And the aunt saying, you know, in her really weird voice, like, having another little boy in the house just won't do. But, you know, having a little girl is going to be great. I'm paraphrasing here. No, but pretty, having yeah. a little girl is <clears throat> going to be great. And so maybe the presumption is like, and I think she does give some throwaway line about Ricky. I don't know if he wasn't home at the moment or something like maybe he was away, but I feel like even if Peter is in the home initially bandaged up, yeah, it seems very strange to me. I mean, Ricky is very aware that his mother is cuckoo. We gotta, we gotta suspend our uh, belief. Yes. Suspend our disbelief. Yeah. But eight years, eight years of living in the same house with somebody. I mean, did they never go swimming? Did they never, like, there are just certain things that, like, even if you haven't hit puberty. Yeah. I feel like there are certain things that, like, I I don't know. Anyway, I won't belabor that point any longer. Not putting anything past that aunt. I I feel like she's crazy enough to have covered some of these. I mean, she did. She didn't. I mean, what's weird, too. It's funny. I was about to say she doctored their their forms. She is a doctor. Yeah. Which is why she could legally fill out their, like, medical forms. Why do you think she thought it was a good idea to send her to this camp? That's the other thing. <laughs> and it's weird because it's like, obviously, Ricky went just the year before. Yeah. If it was ever going to be, like, something that comes up, it seems like it would be at a, at a like, a camp, summer camp thing. Yeah. It's, it's all just super strange. But, like, the film with it opening, and it opens at the same camp. Yeah. So then she sends Angela back to this place that's caused terrible trauma for her Mm -hmm. and in that initial scene though you know they're with their father presumably i guess i you don't get a do you get a good look at him i guess you do then when you get that one other really strange flashback i don't know why the the director felt like i i can't get a read on whether or not the director was trying to show a positive portrayal of a gay relationship or not. I, hmm. I, I feel like given the context of this movie, it was more likely introduced to like show some further, like just confusion on the kid's part, like just not understanding that could have like getting bundled up with then what the aunt put them through. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm i hesitant to consider them trying to do something positive because 
I think what they did with the ending reveal was such a net negative that I don't know if I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt for the other part. Yeah. I mean, when they, so I guess we'll just like get out of the way they like these flashbacks. Yeah. So I don't, the opener isn't a flashback. It's just the, then they do like a flash forward to eight years later, but, um, you don't, I think initially, like there's no indication the father is a gay man, No, but you do have a guy on the beach who says like, Hey, we need to go meet the doc, which it's really weird dialogue. Cause it's like, you wouldn't have any indication that he's referring to the, the sister who eventually takes, um, parental. I hadn't thought of that until just now. Yeah. Like it's exactly like, it's weird that that's the dialogue. Um, but you know, the man on the beach is obviously traumatized into shock. Yes. When the dad dies. Amazing cinematography for that shock. Yeah, and then you get the like screaming camper, somebody help them. And then you have the other two campers in the boat who are also just like kind of staring and just like it's such a weird it scene was, for it a was, lot of reasons. Yeah, it was meant to like show the that the two in the boat were just like shocked and instead they just had kind of kind of these like ridiculous expressions not like great frozen. actors yeah, yeah. They, they, they did the best they could <laughs> <laughs> but then i think what you're supposed to then realize later in the movie there's another flashback where i believe this flashback takes place when paul is on the beach with angela he's trying to get to second base <laughs> yeah she's not okay with it yeah she doesn't give consent he kind of does it anyway. Got it. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, there lost his head. Yeah. That's why the less than honorable. It's yeah, not yeah, just yeah. him making out yeah. with Judy. Yeah. It's that he keeps pushing Angela to be physical in a way she doesn't want to be physical. Damn it, Paul. Yeah. I can't really say, well, he was just a kid too. It, she actually is vocal about like, no, don't do that. And he pushes her anyway. But she kind of disassociates for a second. But you know what? I'm, I'm amending my prior comments. Paul, you had it coming. <laughs> I wish it was worse. I wish I wish it was boiled he's first not and then... Judy, but he's, yeah. you know... Yeah. There's a whole consent problem in, in his behavior. But while he's doing this, she flashes back to... You think she's the little girl yeah. in the flashback. And it's her and her brother. It's this weird black box moment <laughs> where yeah. there's like not really a set. It is but... that special, special episode of Family Times. Yeah. And you see <laughs> the dad, they're like giggling and they're like spying on their dad who's in bed. But the thing that's so interesting to me is they show what looks to be a really tender moment. Yeah. Yeah. Between him and his partner. He's just like kind of gently, but like they're looking to each other's eyes. There's nothing that the director puts on camera that is like anything less than like what looks like love between two yeah. individuals. So it's, it's a weird moment, but the it's kids jarring. Are- it's jarring given the context of like what you've been watching. Yeah. I think it was intent, like obviously intentionally made that way, but like it just like, what, what, I think you're right. What though. is happening though? I think for a 1983 movie, yeah. even though we're viewing it through a 40 year old lens yeah. that, makes it look a different way. Maybe the director's intent was to just like, Oh, this adds to further sexual confusion or yeah. something. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that it was anything more than that. When I look at like the way, 
like the way and the timing in which they showed it. Yeah. That's, I mean, Angela yeah. knows that she's a boy. Yeah. Nobody else does, but that's why she, I think, flashes to this moment. But yes. then there's also this weird addendum to the flashback where, like, the two kids are in bed together. I don't know what they're doing. I don't, I'm not going to even go there, but, like, it's just weird all around. But then that causes her to, like, jump up and run away from Paul. Mm-hmm. Then he gets kind of annoyed with her. I think that's when he ends up making out with Judy a little bit later on. Um, and and once once Angela sees that he's made out with Judy, she just totally shuts down on him. Like, she's done. You're done, Paul. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's two flashbacks. There's that. And then there is the final flashback where we get the reveal that the aunt has forced Peter to live his life as Angela for yep. the last eight years. Yep. And that then you're like, I mean, it is a pretty spectacular reveal. Is that when the cop with the fake mustache finds him? It's uh, it's Susie and Ronnie. Oh, okay. Because okay. like they hear her singing. I just wanted to bring up the cop and the fake mustache, but... Yeah, I mean, we can bring them both. <laughs> I mean, the 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 film is so wild because it's like, I don't think there's any tension whatsoever that Angela's the killer. I think they try to say it could be Ricky. Yeah, there's no no one's buying that. But nobody's buying that. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, the the killer POV is funny um, every time because again, like they. All you see are these, like, two very hands. man hands reaching out yeah. every time there's a kill. Yeah, the hitboxes for these hands are amazing, too. Like, <laughs> they get anywhere near what they're hitting, and they just, like, Yeah, I mean, down. it's, especially when you realize that, like, with the guy who doesn't die, the amount of strength it would have taken for Angela to pull back that chair. I mean, the guy was, like, what, coming in at, like, 250? Big boy. Big boy. So, like her pulling back that chair would take an amazing amount of strength. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's. I, I don't know if the aunt got to a place because it's, you know, her even deciding to have Angela go to the camp, even really minor things like Angela having to change and like change clothes, Angela having to take a shower, um, like. There's all these things that, like, I don't know if the aunt became so complacent after eight years if she had yeah. kept Angela sheltered. Aunt's kind of setting her up for, for something to happen Yeah, here. like, you're putting her into probably the most vulnerable position she could be. But all, all of, like, the issues that you brought up, like, all these things, what what in part is, is, like, a problem about how they decided to, like, introduce this as, like, a character, as, as like, part of this character is that it it kind of like mirrors all of the like unfounded fears for right. like trans individuals generally. I mean and it like lays it all out there decades before like we're looking at it now and it's it's a problem now. And then it was like a shock reveal for a slasher movie. Yeah. I mean I think that now so a film that comes eight years later Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Yeah. Here's, I find that almost more problematic though. Because this is a person who actually is making a choice. It's part of their, like their identity being what it is, is such a part of why they are a serial killer. Which perpetuates this like myth that if you, if, that you can't be a certain way without also being like dangerous. Right. 
that to me is more problematic for that reason. Yeah. To say like, oh, this this person identifies as female. Yeah. But they're not. They're frustrated by that, and for that reason, they are a they're dangerous gonna, killer. They're a yeah. serial killer. Yeah. So there's that, but then I think that, and and I I mean I don't. I don't know what kind of statement the the director was trying to make, but like, <laughs> I but but I yeah. think there is a difference where it's like I view it a little bit more. I I completely see all the arguments of why this is a problematic movie, and it is. But I think that like if you look at it like, well, it's also a product of its time. It's a product of its time, and also this isn't a young child who has gone on this killing spree because. Now, from what you said, they eventually go on to have, like, uh, gender-affirming surgery, through, like, apparently. Some, like, therapy and go through that process. But at least at the by the end of this movie, we just see someone who has, like, literally been abused for yeah. their life after suffering a pretty intense trauma. And that's what I view Angela's actions through. Yeah. This has that, been that's totally fair. A, an abused child. First, a child that went through intense trauma with the law. Like, I don't know where the mom is in this whole story. Mm. Either they're divorced or she's already dead. But Peter loses his only other immediate family, then is forced to conform to this crazy aunt's demand that he be Angela. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then and then it is sent to this camp where, like, yes, some people, like, Susie's nice to Angela, Ronnie's nice to Angela, Ricky totally is a great cousin to her, defends her at every turn, mm -hmm. but she puts up with a ton of abuse from, and I will say this much, though, I have read that the actresses, so the actress who played Judy, the actress who played Meg, and then the actress who played Angela, they actually were really good friends off that's, camera. That's nice to know, yeah. I've heard that they got along really well and that the scene in particular where Meg and Judy throw Angela into the water yeah. was like a hard scene for them to film because they didn't want to treat her that way. Yeah. So I'll say that. But um, but I look at it more so through the lens of like this, this young child who has been abused and traumatized to such an intense degree has responded in this way to me it has nothing to do with with and and it's like you can't even say that angela is trans she's been forced That's, he's been yeah. forced that is that is a, a whole conversation out of itself because yeah. yeah you you generally would would look at somebody as like well they've 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 gone through that process of their own they like, have accord. made a choice yeah. because this is who they are. Yeah. This is who this is them affirming who they yes. are. Yes. Not being forced yeah. under duress and fear and whatever else. So on be, one hand, yeah. you you see this ending where it appears to be like this complete offensive affront right. to a community that at that time was probably not on anybody's right. radar, but also it's not even fair to say that yeah. they were part of that because they didn't choose to be part of anything. They were just right. forced into this role right. by someone who, again, I can't stress this enough, was the craziest character in Looney this movie. Looney Tunes, yeah. yeah. And that's why I'm not sure how to take that information about how then this character goes on to go through like gender-affirming surgery where it's like, I don't know what that's saying, that this person went through such intense abuse and then they come to just like accept yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the movie. So. I mean, I've read. I've read some people's comments on the movie and the franchise to look at those subsequent like sequels in the franchise 
as a way of like saying that this is a trans individual because of what they went through later in the movie. But for purposes of just this movie, it's just this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not considering those just yet as part of what I'm looking at now. No, I will say that, um, that ending scene in case people weren't already aware the way that they pulled that off is the body, uh-huh. the naked body. That was a, a young college male. Okay. That was a young man who apparently, no, I feel terrible because I think they like dox him in IMDb. Somebody like found out who it was. I think this person never wanted to be known for, uh, for the role in the film. I heard that they like got him super drunk so that he'd be willing to do, do that, the scene. That doesn't sound great. Like, he gave consent, but he was like, ugh, naked on screen. Like, I think yeah. that's what it was. Okay. Um. So, like, he knew what he was being asked to do. Okay, okay. He just was incredibly, like, nervous about it. Sure. Um problematic around that issue as well you don't you don't but, generally see that much penis in a in an 80s yeah, movie full frontal yeah. um but then they made a mask of the actress ah, so really? that that was like mission impossible level yes mask. that yes. again the effects in this movie yes much better than they deserve to be and that's also why the face is static frozen in that like, frozen scream. in that scream well that stylistically very effective. Very. I mean. And I mean, that ending is so disturbing. And honestly, it being disturbing has nothing to do with like genitals or anything like that. There's it's like a the severed sa- severed head with yes. a naked body and the sounds. The sounds, which I've heard that's a sound effect that comes from like dogs growling or something. It's So yeah. it's. um. But it sounds like. that All combined. Sounds like Angela. Like it, the, the way yeah. they like. Uh, like display that it looks like angela is making that sound yes but you know it's not but it's like it's it's hard to like figure out what they're fucking doing and i think that rolls into like this kind of oh how are we supposed to interpret this ending because it <laughs> makes her seem like feral at this point yeah yeah he, he is feral yeah. at this point and it's like what are you telling us about this young child who went through all this so um it yeah it makes you reconsider the everything else that like you you think yeah. about every other interaction that took place before that in the movie and you're like oh what the fuck yes um i will say like some of the things that i thought were bright spots <laughs> um i i love i love how nice ronnie is in the film oh and i forgot about the kids the kids who get uh massacred as well yeah i my only guess is that those kids at the end, and the end when you see like the like sleeping yeah, you bags see like or... the hacked up sleeping bags. So yeah. they don't they don't go too far with like showing actual massacred children, but um, but I do think <laughs> so. It's... it's so nice that they they did have a line that they wouldn't cross. Yeah, I mean it is really interesting because like um, you know which one of the more recent films was it? Um, Halloween Kills, where the little kid gets the kid in the truck with his dad. Hmm. Yeah, I think it. I think that was. I don't know which one it. It wasn't Halloween ends. It might have just been Halloween. Could have it just been Halloween? The the redone. And it wasn't yeah. the Rob Zombie ones, right? It no. was the actual reboot. Okay, no. so or not reboot, but quick the, quick question: Would you rather watch the Rob Zombie Halloween or the Rob Zombie Monsters? Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but the reason why I bring that up is because I remember that being like, oh wow, they they like 
they went for it. They like killed a kid. Mm-hmm. And this film <laughs> precedes that. Like that is that is one thing that I always find really interesting about horror is like Will they or won't they? Like, how far are they willing to go? That kid in the blob got pretty fucking killed. Yes, that too. And I remember, dead. and I remember, we were like, "Wow, okay," yeah, yeah. like they went for it. So they do go for it, but you don't really see anything um, of like it's hard to even make out bodies. The only reason why you know kids have been killed is because the counselor the re- responds in a way. Um, yeah, but uh, I think those kids might have been the kids that were throwing sand. At Angela. Perfect. They got it coming. Because that's why it's like, Come why would in. she kill them? You know, I will also say Angela really gets around on this, like, <laughs> campgrounds. Like, she she, she is stealth. I think it would have been amazing if, uh, because we get a lot of Angela just staring blankly mm-hmm. at everything. Just, just let me one time see her pull out a notepad and just add another name. <laughs> I would have loved that. I I also heard that like during the auditions, like the director asked for different things from different actors, and like they actually asked her to like give me your best like thousand yard stare or something like that to see if she could pull that off. Um, yeah, because she doesn't talk until over a half hour into the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that it was really interesting that uh, like at one point when Paul comes up behind her and she's like, oh, I thought you were the killer. I was like, well done. <laughs> like with like kind of hiding the yeah, fact that it's actually you. Oh, Angela. Uh, yeah. I, Angela. I actually kind of laughed at that. You're not fooling us. We know it's you. But I do really like that at least as like crazy as Meg was, I mean, Mel is like, totally out of bounds with the way he treats ricky yeah but i mean to assume that he's the killer it's like why why would you assume he's the killer the way that he attacked ricky he kind of just like swung his arms while like imagine like a a inflatable arm tube man yes beating the shit out of a kid yes that's that's kind of what he gets it for that like it's actually kind of interesting because mel i think that's the one kill where Angela's like, I'm not killing you because of how you've treated me. I'm killing you because of how you've treated Ricky. Don't mess with me. Or my cousin. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> because Mel and Angela don't really interact with each other. No. He doesn't do anything to her. He is maybe by... He's not a, he's not a great dude, but... He's not a great dude. Uh, um, he's more concerned with like the reputation of the camp than very like, much people so. getting killed yeah, he's, or he's, hurt. Please leave a five-star rating. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's actually kind of funny that Angela's like, I'm fucking going after you for Ricky's sake and does that. But um, I do appreciate that Ronnie was so nice. Ronnie is such a wholesome character in this (laughs) film for as insane as he is attired. He is is as wholesome as he is oblivious because – he fucking took her, he took Angela immediately yes. into the worst goddamn place yes. that you could bring a kid yeah. to the kitchen. So how does how does Ronnie not know? How is he not aware of what's happening? Excellent point. I think Excellent he would have done something if he had known. Yes, he would have. Yeah. Yes, he would have. He would have, I think, beat the shit out of that guy had yeah. he known. Yeah. Um, so Ronnie's super nice to her. I wish Susie would have gotten some more screen time. She's the one female camp counselor who is like really nice to, to Angela. So I appreciate those two. And then those happen to be the two that find Angela on the beach. Um, and I love Ricky. I love, I love Ricky in this movie. 
he he is such an upstanding young kid. Like, first of all, he has spunk. I think it's funny that he's not he's not actually a good kid. Like he, you know, Paul Morso alludes to all the pranks that they've done, yeah, and the bad behavior that they've been in. He has a real potty mouth. He sure does. Um, which I think is hilarious. I think it's so interesting that he is so well aware of how Looney Tunes' mom is. But then, you know, he could, like, I don't think he's an uncool kid. He's quite well adjusted considering his mom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not one of the older boys that now Judy seems interested in, but he seems popular enough um, at camp among the other campers. And he's still totally, like, he does not once back down when he sees Angela being treated poorly. No, he protects her. He protects her every single time. And I think that's amazing that they did that because I think you do often see if it's a sibling or a friend, somebody in a dynamic in a relationship where they become the more popular one and they're like, get away from me. I don't want to deal with you. Like you're going to drag me down. And he doesn't do that. No. So I think in some ways, like, he is, he is like the hero of this film. Um, and he lives. As all heroes <laughs> kind of have to at the end of a film. So I, I love that. I think that that's my favorite relationship. If there's anything I can even, like, pull out of this, it's like, tough. Yeah. crazy <laughs> like, bonkers movie. Yeah. I love the relationship between Ricky and Angela. Yeah. Whether or not he knows that Angela's really Peter, I don't know. I don't think he does. Um, I don't think so. He should, maybe, but he, I don't think he does. I think that's an interesting question because it's like, I, I want to believe that he doesn't because I think if he did, I think he would fight his mom really hard on that. I think he would, maybe not as a younger child, but as they get into their teens, I think he would have been like, this is crazy what you're doing. But even if that was happening, we wouldn't have, that, that would have been presented to us in the form of a flashback at some point. Yeah. 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 I think that that, that's a kind of interesting thing to think about how he would have responded if he knew that it was really Peter. But in any case, um, and that might be also why they like do that kind of throwaway where she mentions, because I don't think anybody watching this movie would be thinking about their medical forms for camp, <laughs> but I think that maybe they put that in there to explain away why Peter has, for the last eight years, lived as Angela because, like, what, he went to no doctor's appointments? He never got, like, at that time, vaccination, like, all that kind of stuff. So it's like the aunt was uh, manipulating all of that the whole time. Yeah. So... Well, my one of my favorite scenes still, though, in spite of everything that we've talked about, is the police officer who gets into the rec hall <laughs> at the end of the film. Not only does he have a fake mustache because he shaved off his actual mustache during filming and didn't have enough time for it to grow back. Oh. So, like, I think if you watch carefully, you'll see a real mustache at some earlier oh, moment. Okay. But then at the end, it's like, it, it is so, like, obviously adhesive and it's felt. It's hilarious because even the lighting. It's he, so, yeah. They could have done a million things. They hold so on that, the shot. Yes. In the, it's, oh, it's so he good. He turns to the yeah. side. Let me give you a better look at this. <laughs> so you see even better yeah. that it's just a glued-on mustache. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, 
that episode of the office level where they have like the Mario mustaches on when they're in disguise it's, air quotes. It's seriously like on the production level. And I'm sorry to like, I hope I'm not being offensive to you to say this, but of like threat level midnight, <laughs> like it is that kind of a movie, oh, but it man. actually is a movie. But what, what was like really funny about it is that it's the worst effect in the entire movie by far. Like, all the kills, like we talked about, are really well done, like, or the memes. They, they just spent their budget. But they just, they had, they had, they had no answer. Left. <laughs> they had, the question was mustache, and they had no answer. And it's like, you know, it, that the only reason that makes sense is, like, he thought his role in the film was done. Yeah. But it's like otherwise you like he he must show up at some point earlier in the film or or in some something I mean usually films he's are in shot another, out of a sequence. Yeah, but, I feel like um, he is in another scene where okay. it's not a it's not that same thing, but because it's like you could just not have him have a mustache, but they must have already completed some kind of filming with him. We're like, yeah. well, no, we gotta we gotta bring the mustache back. You think he was like just have me in a scene where I shave it off, or just like do something else with him to just have him be a different police officer. Maybe, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe you don't have him an inch away from the camera and the yeah, light that accentuates it. Yeah, I mean, like, it. they could have made so many choices that you were questioning. Yeah. Is that a Well, look, that mustache isn't the only questionable choice in the movie. I mean, so at this point, you know, I think we have done our due diligence of uh, covering the film, but... <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It, it This is a film where, I mean, I've listened to podcasts before where they cover a film that I haven't actually seen. And I don't, I mean, you're always missing something if you haven't seen the movie. But I feel like I could still, like, follow the yeah. podcast. You really. To, you need to see this movie. Yeah, you need to watch it to really, yeah. like, and I apologize because if you haven't seen the movie, this has just been an hour and you're 20 like, minutes of what nonsense. what have they been talking about? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, even if you have seen the movie, this might still be 120 minutes of nonsense. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, and of course it is a divisive film for all the reasons we've laid out. I, I still don't know like really how I reconcile that in, in my head. I don't think I like it. Which part? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like I said, at the top of our conversation, albeit a super problematic film and what's come since it seems to complicate. Yeah that problematic nature um just such an entertaining film and i personally will cue it up every halloween season okay but what about you uh i mean it's there there are parts that just are man they're they're tough to watch just because it's so uncomfortable yeah and when it comes to horror, I'll watch something like that where it's like, man, this is like super uncomfortable. I like horror that can, I'll watch slasher movies because sometimes they're so outlandish. They're mm -hmm. so crazy that it's just, it like spins around to be in a like campy and, and comedy. I don't know if this is really that. Mm -hmm. It's a movie. I don't where, know if we're in on the joke Yeah. or yeah. not. Yeah. So for me, like, I know that you really enjoy watching it and I enjoy commenting on how crazy it is when it's on. So I like, if you put it on, I'm not like running out of the house. Yeah. I think that it's a film also that there's things to pick up on every time you watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think so. And now I think I'm giving far too much credit to this film in this moment with what I'm about to say, but like in terms of horror, there are the things that we've already discussed that like 
obvious slasher and amazing kills in this film, if that's going to be the only thing you take away from it. But when you do look at things like the the pedophile storyline or the, like, similarly gross relationship between Mel and Meg or the bullying that Angela suffers by, like, a number of people, those are, in their own way, horror elements. And, like, lightly speaking, but, like, like, there are horrific overtones to all of them. So I'm probably giving way too much credit to this film, but it's, like, it has... (laughs) The differing levels of horror in it you have the more overt with like the kills but then you have just and then and then you have an umbrella over all of it this child abuse that's happening yeah it, so i guess that that also like fits in why it's not one of my favorite movies in the same way that sure. i know you really enjoy i'm not saying it's one of your favorites but i know you really like it and i usually even if it is a slasher movie i usually like there to be more of just like a a supernatural type of sure piece to it. Like yeah. who can actually feel, I don't, I still don't understand Jason Voorhees, but I know that he's mm-hmm. like, not just like a crazy guy with a mask on. I mean, when we get to, it won't be for this Halloween season. Obviously we're going to do a Friday the 13th film. Um, we'll do it eventually. E- eventually. Yeah. And we can actually pick up with the very first of this, of the franchise mm-hmm. because the original is right 1980. So we got right in under the gun. Ironically, but, the first one is not really the, even close to the, I mean, you know, right. And I only bring it up not to all of a sudden pivot into Friday the 13th, but just because like they have changed the mythology yeah. of who Jason is quite a bit so like he (laughs) yeah yeah they have and i mean he wasn't even a he in the first either because it was mrs Voorhees. that's right the killer was yeah yeah so another big reveal in a horror franchise man i miss those good reveals when's the last time we got a good reveal in a horror movie in a horror movie oh i don't know i mean saw is not my franchise but i know that that had its own oh did it yeah big Mm. reveal at in the first film but that was already what 2004 it's a million so, years ago. million years ago. This movie was a billion years ago. All right. So, uh, call to action. I've laid several out. You have. Anyone is free to pick up whatever they're most comfortable with. I mean, I'm I'm truly, like, I am leaving it so broad because I just want to know how people feel about this film. Yeah. Like, it is a very divisive film. So, I'm just curious. Do people think it's entertaining? Do they hate it? Do they, like, I don't know. I'm not saying it's a good film. I'm saying that it's an entertaining film. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it does some things like technically given like the budget that they work, they do some things really well. Um, you know, it, it's just the, the ending and what they do with that in the franchise afterwards is just always going to be mm-hmm. a source of, of controversy. Mm-hmm. People are going to have different opinions on it. I think mm-hmm. for this movie in and of itself, we talk about it with a lot of the movies from the eighties, but you really have to look at it through the lens of like what was being made then and right. what in that issues that are very much part of like the like daily news now, like we're just never brought, right. like it would never have come right. up. So it's just, it's difficult to even like really portray yeah, or get in the head of what they were yeah. doing then. Cause I look at it now and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, so if you want to get in touch with us, yeah, 
We would love to hear from you. You can reach out through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Same handle. I know you keep bringing up threads. No, no. I was going to say, is it still called Twitter? Or is it the the platform formerly known as Twitter? Man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to crossover into if you want to reach out to us on x send us an x how do what is it even it's so dumb how's it all fit together it's so dumb i'm just i'm just calling it twitter do you like x people i mean it's hilarious to me because it's like you can't change your domain like like it's always going to be twitter.com right like you can't change that Uh, look if i've learned one thing it's to never underestimate the stupid things that this guy <laughs> might be able to do. So I'm just calling it Twitter. Yeah. Uh, same handle at all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod and 80s is 80s. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm so excited because this is always my favorite time of year. So we just finished up with the first film in our Halloween series. What's coming up next? Um, what can I give as a clue? We are going in a very different direction oh. with horror. I'm not I'm not super mad about that. No, I don't think you should be. Um <laughs> hmm, <laughs> what's a good clue? I mean, okay, so of the films that we're covering this yeah. year, let me do a quick scan of like the I mean, this might be the only film that has like an Oscar winner who then also refused their Oscar. Oh. Um and it's I'm not a- Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> Well, based on that clue, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that we're talking about George C. Scott in The Changeling. Good job! Yes! Oof. Yes! All I'm, right. I'm super excited. This is really more so along the lines of like what I call like atmospheric horror, yeah. um, kind of gothic I like horror. George C. Scott in horror because I think he's excellent in The Exorcist 3. So I'm, you do really like him in yeah. The Exorcist 3. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I, I, I'm aware of the movie. I don't know if I've ever seen it. It's been a very long time. It kind of reminds me of um, what we watched for the first time last year, Ghost Story. Okay. So I'm super excited. We will have a very special guest. I'm really thrilled to have him on the show. And in the meantime, just thank you so much for hanging with us with all the choices out there. We appreciate you listening to our little podcast. And we will talk to you again in two weeks' time. 